Hello again from Paul and Rachel to Here Comes Christmas. It's the 17th of December. Mm. So have you got the sprouts on already? No. You need to get them really <laughs> boiling away. I mean, they, they need to... Uh, yes, all right. I'm not like your mother. <laughs> OK, my love, um, what do we have in the gander bag today? Well, we've got lots of bits and bobs, but we've got um, a huge amount on animals. Mm-hmm. But shall we... Start with Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Why not? I mean, he never started with our stuff, so... No, he didn't. Tell me about Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Well, it had its first performance today. Well, today in 1865. But what was interesting about that? Um, Give me some clues. Well, he actually died in 1828, so... Right, Okay. Quite a long time after he died. Um, But lots of people have tried to sort of patch it together and complete the the symphony. So I think Schubert, the thing that will come to people's minds straight away when you say Schubert is unfinished symphony. And he's almost more famous for not having finished something than all the other works that he did. Well, perhaps that's a lesson in marketing for you. Could be, yeah. Perhaps we should just stop the podcast here and then we'll be famous forevermore. <laughs> yes. But interesting, in January 2019, Huawei, which has been very much in the news this year, decided that they would use AI, artificial intelligence, to um, create the rest of it. To finish his unfinished to symphony. To finish his unfinished symphony, Yeah. Yeah. Didn't go down ever so well, really. It was called trivial and um, inauthentic, even though it was actually performed at Cadogan Hall in London. It's not bad, though, for a mobile phone. Yeah, it's quite clever, isn't it? (laughs) What would Schubert have said? There have been other dramatic movements in technology in the the past century as well, haven't they? Yeah, aeroplanes. Are you thinking aeroplanes? I was thinking aeroplanes, yeah. yeah so yeah. the Wright brothers, I believe, on this yep. day in, what was it, 1903, mm. actually got off the ground for the first time. So their first flight was 120 feet, which they were 12 seconds in the air. So that works out at 10 miles an hour. Um, well, 10 feet a second, probably, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huge. I mean, when you think about it, the way that flight has moved on in that time, it was only 11 years before they were using aeroplanes in for warfare in World War One. Mm. And it was 44 years from then until they broke the sound barrier. And 66 years only before they put a man on the moon. Okay. Yeah. So it's worth remembering that two wrongs don't make a right. But two oh, rights made an aeroplane. <laughs> so bad. So bad. I did like his name, though. Wilbur. Right. Orville. I was thinking Orville. Orville. Yeah. Never come across a series Orville before. Well, apparently his, his dad didn't want to give either of them second names. So he's decided he would give them distinctive first names. Okay. people would remember. I suppose that makes sense, doesn't it? But, mm-hmm. yeah, they were both very cool names. Do you think something is happening now in aeroplanes? Actually, something distinctive did happen today. I understand that the third runway at Heathrow oh, Airport yes. is going ahead mm. after all. Yep, that's not good for the environment, is it? We can expect Boris to be lying down in front of the bulldozers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. 
So thinking about the environment and the amount of ground that's going to be lost with the third runway and animals that will be displaced. Mm-hmm. Shall we have a little think about possibly the most famous book about animals and a rare assortment of animals as well? Yeah. And that would be The Wind and the Willows, a wonderful book by Kenneth Graham. Did you know that Kenneth Graham was, before he wrote the book, he was Secretary of the Bank of England? Do you know, I think I had heard that once before. Yes, it's just quite incredible, isn't so it? He, he mm. took early retirement to mess about in boats on the Thames and then write this book. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've performed this several times, haven't we, in the John Rutter version? Yes. Which is really beautiful music, isn't it? And I've just had a quick look on YouTube and there's a lovely version of it with the King Singers and the Hong Kong Chamber Orchestra. And there also seems to be a CD of it. So uh, if anyone wants anything to do on Christmas afternoon, you can look at John Rutter's Wind in the Willows and it really is a delightful little counterharter, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Good fun to perform too. Choirs have always just loved doing it. So cheerful. So we're going to listen to Nikki read and sing the Christmas section of The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. From The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. At last the rat succeeded in decoying him to the table and had just got seriously to work with the sardine opener when sounds were heard from the forecourt without. Sounds like the scuffling of small feet in the gravel and a confused murmur of tiny voices while broken sentences reached them. Now, all in a line, hold the lantern up a bit, Tommy. Clear your throats first. No coughing after I say one, two... Three, oh, where's young Bill? Here, come on, do, we're all awaiting. What's up? inquired the rat, pausing in his labours. I think it must be the field mice, replied the mole, with a touch of pride in his manner. They go around carol singing regularly at this time of the year. They're quite an institution in these parts, and they never pass me over. They come to Mole End last of all, and I used to give them hot drinks, and supper too sometimes, when I could afford it. It'll be like old times to hear them again. Let's have a look at them, cried the rat, jumping up and running to the door. It was a pretty sight, and a seasonable one, that met their eyes when they flung the door open in the forecourt lit by the dim rays of a horn lantern, some eight or ten little field mice stood in a semicircle, red comforters around their throats, their forepaws thrust deep into their pockets and their feet jigging for warmth. With bright, beady eyes, they glanced shyly at each other, sniggering a little, sniffing and applying coat sleeves a good deal. As the door opened... One of the elder ones that carried the lantern was just saying, Now then, one, two, three, and forthwith their shrill little voices uprose on the air. 
singing one of the old-time carols that their forefathers composed in fields that were fallow and held by frost, or when snowbound in chimney corners and handed down to be sung in the miry street to lamp-lit windows at Yule time. Villages all is frosty tide, let your door swing open wide, the wind may follow and snow beside, yet draw us in by your fire to bide, joy shall be yours in the morning. Goodman Joseph toiled through the snow, saw the star or a stable low, Mary she might not further go, welcome thatch and litter below, joy was hers in the morning. And then they heard the angels tell, who were the first to cry Noel, animals all as it befell, in the stable where they did dwell, joy shall be theirs in the morning. The voices ceased, and the singers, bashful but smiling, exchanged sidelong glances, and silence succeeded, but for a moment only. Then, from up above and far away, down the tunnel they had so lately travelled, was borne to their ears, in a faint musical hum, the sound of distant bells ringing a joyful and clangorous peal. "'Very well sung, boys!' cried the rat heartily. And now come all along in, all of you, and warm yourselves by the fire and have something hot. Yes, come along, field mice, cried the mole eagerly. This is quite like old times. Shut, shut the door after you. Pull up that settle to the fire. Now, now you just wait a minute while we... Oh, oh ratty, he cried in despair, plumping down on a seat with tears impending. Whatever are we doing? We've nothing to give them. You leave all that to me, said the masterful rat. Here you, with the lantern. Come over this way. We want to talk to you. Oh, tell me, are there any shops open at this hour of the night? Why, certainly, sir, replied the field mouse respectfully. At this time of the year, our shops keep open to all sorts of hours. Then look here, said the rat. You go off at once, you and your lantern, and you get me. Here much muttered conversation ensued, and the mole only heard bits of it, such as, Fresh mind? No, a pound of that will do. See, you get buggins, for I won't have any other. No, only the best. If you can't get it there, try somewhere else. Yes, of course, homemade. No tin stuff. Well then, do the best you can. Finally, there was a chink of coin passing from paw to paw. The field mouse was provided with an ample basket for his purchases, and off he hurried, he and his lantern. The rat, meanwhile, was busy examining the label on one of the beer bottles. I perceive this to be old Burton, he remarked approvingly. Sensible mole, the very thing. Now we'll be able to mole some ale. Get the things ready, Mole. I'll draw the corks.
So thank you very much, Naniki. That was wonderful. And I loved all the voices as well. It's interesting, isn't it, how Kenneth Graham captures all the personalities of the animals, the pompous nature of toad, the wise old badger, and the eagerness of mole. They're, they're all like people that we all know, aren't they, really? Mm -hmm. And so we can empathise with them. And I think we'd agree that all our animals that we've ever had contact with have all got their distinct identities and charm or lack of charm (laughs) (laughs) and their own insecurities as well. Absolutely. Do you remember the sheep that we had? Oh, I remember your sheep, yes. (laughs) So... Rachel decided that she was going to have a, a, some sheep in the garden. How many? We had three, didn't three. we? Mm. Called Tinker, Tilly and Trotter. And these sheep quickly decided they, they were going to dominate the garden and would patrol up and down each morning in line, wouldn't they? They dominated us, actually. They, did. they were quite bossy creatures. They were very dramatic personalities. They were. Eventually, when we moved house, we decided that they would go back to the farmer that we had them from. So they rejoined the flock. But because they had grown up with our dogs, they totally disregarded the sheepdog who would come up to try to round them up. And they would just look at him to say, yes, what do you want? (laughs) And headbutt him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. But I think what we're trying to say is that All animals have personalities. It's not just our cats who sit on our laps and our dogs who we take for walks. Every single cow, pig and sheep has a personality and a character of their own. Should you choose to get to know them intimately? Yeah, I think that is the problem. But so many animals live in pain, discomfort and unpleasant situations don't they from the factory farming but for many years we've um, supported a charity haven't we called compassion and world farming mm-hmm. who work tirelessly to protect farm animals from pain and suffering um, throughout their lives before they go for slaughter so we spoke with natasha the campaigns manager for compassion in world farming and we asked her to explain a little about what the organization does There's a long-standing idea that the UK is a nation of animal lovers. You know, we think of our pets and we have many different charities supporting pets and we love our dogs, cats, guinea pigs, all sorts. And there's not always the association of farm animals as being as sentient and needing of compassion and love and care. So I think it's making that connection in people's minds that in the same way as somebody's beloved pet dog is precious and to be treasured and treated with respect, given a life worth living, the same applies for any cow, pig, sheep on any UK farm or any farm in the world for that matter. And so it's so vital in as compassion in wild farming that we we show people the truth and we say this is a vision of the world as it should be as it could be and it should be where all animals including all farm animals enjoy a life worth living and unfortunately these are all the ways in which they're not living that life and we've got millions of animals in in rich cages for hens uh, in farrowing crates for sows, for mother pigs. People just don't know that all of this stuff is still happening. Farming, obviously, is a crucially important business to the country as a whole, to the world as a whole. 
And I'm sure that we don't want to make enemies of farmers. They have their concerns, business concerns. Is it inevitable that there is going to be a conflict between the business side of farming and the compassionate side of farming? Is it always going to be a struggle between giving effective farming but managing those costs, probably at the expense of animal welfare? No, it's not an inevitability at all. And that's what we're fighting to show. Now, we don't campaign against individual farms or farmers. We know that many, many farmers love their animals and really respect their welfare and want to be able to do all they can to protect their animals' welfare. And it's the responsibility of the government to make it economically viable for farmers to do both, to protect their animals' welfare and earn a living, make a profit and be able to sustain free range systems, um, organic systems of farming for that no longer to be a luxury. And one way in which the government needs to do this is to ensure that its subsidies system after the EU transition period ends, when we no longer are abiding by the common agricultural policy in the EU, that the new system of subsidies that are given to farmers are no longer based on the standards that were relevant immediately after the war, where it was more about the the scale of production. So being rewarded, compensated for providing as much food as possible. We need to look at protecting our environment, so supporting wildlife biodiversity, protecting our soils from soil degradation, which obviously happens with intensive farming. And we need to make sure that animal welfare, farm animal welfare, is chief among those criterion for subsidies. So here I am as a food consumer. I'm I'm going to the supermarket. And what would you like to get across to me to think about when I'm doing shopping for for food? I'd like to get across that when you pick up any meat or dairy product, um, that's an animal that could have been reared in conditions that if you could see them in person, then you'd find it abhorrent and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to stomach it, quite frankly. When you're picking up, um, you know, a pack of sausages or, or some cheese, think, okay, this has come from an animal. I want to know more about how this animal has been reared. We would encourage everyone to go for organic and and look for those labels that are actually legally recognised. And obviously with Soil Association Organic, that's a recognised label. RSPCA Assured, that's a recognised label. But to, to really question when you're seeing other types of labels like Farm Fresh or All Natural, oh, hang on a minute, is that recognised? I want to know more about that. I'm going to go home and do my research to find out more about that. You you have purchase power. You know, the things that you buy can send a powerful message to, to supermarkets, to food producers, to the government. Um, and so it's important to use your voice and use your wallet where you can to, to make to bring that message across to those who can make decisions. And if I'm a, a somewhat jaded, maybe a hardworking farmer trying to make an honest living against adversity of circumstance, both financial and environmental, and I get someone in your position coming along telling me that I should do things differently, what would be your message in the most helpful way to the farmers? So my message to farmers would be to support the campaigns that are calling for better standards in British farming, because when when they are part of that movement for change, 
it actually benefits everyone. We're not talking about being against farmers here. Absolutely not. We want to see a return to regenerative agriculture where farmers are not being pressurized to produce massive yields at the lowest possible costs, but they can actually be proud, uh, take real, real pride in the way they treat their animals and the way that they protect wildlife around their farms and the way that they provide the community with seasonal local produce and those relationships they have. We want to see a return to that more that healthy and sustainable way of farming by improving our standards further, we will all benefit as long as we can have that support from the government to make it viable economically for farmers to deliver that higher welfare and healthier model of regenerative farming. So thanks very much to Natasha. And if you want to know more about Compassion in World Farming, you can go along to their website, which is ciwf.org.uk. And you can buy their Christmas cards, as well as you can get a lot of more information about their campaigns and what they're doing. And of course, one of the most recent triumphs of the organisation has been campaigning to stop live animal exports, which... One of the benefits of Brexit, if there are many benefits of Brexit, will be that hopefully that will uh, be something which doesn't happen in the future. Absolutely. Okay, on to music. And we're still on an animal theme. We've, over the years, done, oh, must be half a dozen different nativity plays. I think it's a lot more than that, actually, Paul. We've just lost most of them. Uh, so we've always looked for a, a different angle and it's um, not always easy to tell a traditional story with a, a new approach. Um, one we did was probably 18 years ago and uh, it was the, the first performance when our son Joe was on the stage. And how old was he at the time? He was six weeks old <laughs> and he was the baby Jesus and he woke up halfway through. <laughs> He had the starring role. No, nothing like starting at the top, is there? And going down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the uh, the play was uh, about the donkey's perspective on the nativity. It was called The Donkey's Tale. And so there were lots of songs in it from an, an animal point of view. And this song uh, actually came from the show. It's called Animals Have Feelings Too.
Hope you enjoyed that. We we think it's a pretty little ditty, don't we? Really. <laughs> so those were children in the in the performance, weren't they? They were, yes. So they're all grown up and barristers and goodness knows vets. Uh, I can't think what else they are, but all high powered business people. Um, right, we're going to move on to the Reverend Simon Lewis, who's going to give us another verse of Saint Luke's Gospel. <laughs> Today, we have verse 13 and 14 of chapter 2. Suddenly, a great army of heaven's angels appeared with the angel, singing praises to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I wonder, what impact do these words have on the shepherds? Here's my thought. Yesterday, The lowest of the low were given the message that if they wanted proof of their saviour being born, they would find the baby in the town, in a stable, in a manger. But before they could even respond to the announcement, a great army of angels appears in the sky and start making song. Who really knows what they sound like? Over the years, Our imaginations have created fabulous carols for us to sing that tell the Christmas story and echo the angels' song of praise. You know them as well as I do, and I hope you're listening to many of them on the radio, on the TV, from a CD, through the internet. The song of the angels is about three things. First, glory and peace. Second, heaven and earth. And finally, God among people of goodwill. There are no words in it about things being done. You know, those verbs, those doing words. There are no objects, things to use and operate in the song. This is purely a song of praise for peace. Nothing more and nothing less. And for the ears of the shepherds, This was music. It went straight to the heart. The impact, I think, would have been transformational, considering who they are. And their response? Let's see tomorrow. Many thanks to Simon. It's really good to hear the story of the nativity told and challenge us to think about it in a different way, isn't it? A little bit different to our nativity stories. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps Simon's approach is a little more authentic than some of ours. Yes, definitely. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay folks, time to go. And um, do you think I can get out without telling a joke this time? Uh, no. Have you got an animal joke? All oh, right. Uh, I've got a, a sheep-related joke. Would you like to hear a sheep? Okay, I would love to hear a sheep-related joke. What do sheep say to...
to Santa. I don't know. What do sheep say to Santa? Uh, well, if they're happy sheep, they would say, Seasons bleatings, Santa. <laughs> and if they're a grumpy sheep, they go, Bah, humbug. <laughs> very good, very good. Right, we're off then. Okay. We're off to see the wizard. Okay, please, please join us tomorrow. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.